Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of the Havala, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east of the side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Well, good morning and welcome to our place. What a beautiful scripture reading we've just had from Genesis 2. We're going to delve into that a bit more in a moment. Genesis chapter 2 is a chapter that introduces us to many concepts for the very first time. And one of the concepts is something that I've described as God's rhythm of satisfaction for our lives. And I want us to spend this next 20 minutes or so just looking at what it means to live a satisfied life and how we can live within that rhythm that God has designed for us. So why don't we pause and pray and then we're going to get straight into chapter 2. Dear Lord, I thank you today for your Bible. I thank you for the book of Genesis, for what we're learning in it. And I pray today that you would speak to us again and teach us, Lord God, what you want us to know about living a satisfied life in you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, I'm not sure about you, but for me, I've never been the greatest finisher. I mean, I remember as a kid, I would pull a whole lot of stuff to bits but not a whole lot of it came back together again. I've always loved reading books, but I've also got a tendency to have a lot of unfinished books on my bookshelf. But you know, over time I've got a bit better at it. And I have to say that some of the most memorable moments in my life so far have been finishing marathons. Now I'm not a great runner by any stretch of the imagination, 
But I did my first marathon and then my second and then my third. And, and I've got plans to do some others one day. But the thing about running a marathon that I guess is the most satisfying is, is not being able to tell everyone that I've won because there's no chance of that for me. It's, it's not even about all the food you get to eat when you're training. The thing for me, or the greatest thing about running a marathon, is that moment of finishing. There is nothing quite like it when you have pushed yourself through those last few excruciatingly painful kilometers, and then you get across that finish line. And there's something about knowing that all the work that you've put in over the months before is finished is complete. And that sense of satisfaction as you're just able to rest and look back is, is quite incredible. There's not much else in life that gives me that feeling of deep satisfaction. You know, what we're going to see in, in Genesis chapter 2 is that I believe God's desire for our lives is to actually live deeply satisfied in Him. And in Genesis 2, we see how God designed a rhythm of life that is based on this deep sense of satisfaction in Him. And I think there's two pillars in Genesis 2 of this rhythm of satisfaction. And the two pillars that I want to focus on, the first one is rest, and the second one is work. And so we're introduced to the first pillar at the very beginning of chapter 2. It was read to us before, but let me just remind you, chapter 2 verses 1 to 3 says this, so the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. This moment of creation is so beautiful. God has just declared in the verses before that everything he has made is good or very good, as he says. And then as he looks on it all, he says it is complete. It is finished. And he is fully satisfied with what he has made. It is very good. And then in these first few verses, we see what he does. He rests. But the overarching question that strikes me from this verse is this. If God truly is all-powerful, as he is the creator of the universe, why does he need to rest? Why does God need to rest? I mean, it's not like he gets tired, right? We get tired, we have a lie down, we go to sleep, we, we rest. But the Bible says that God neither slumbers nor sleeps. So what's going on here? Why is he resting? I think part of the answer is because he is setting out for us the first pillar of the rhythm of satisfaction for our lives. And that pillar is rest. But why is it so important that God would put it right up front in the Bible? Chapter 2 of the Bible, in fact. Well, I think it's really important because in the same chapter, he introduces us to that second pillar, which, as we mentioned, is work. Again, in Genesis chapter 2, let's read verse 7 and 15. This is what it says. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. And then down in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it, to work it. And to watch over it. The purpose that God had for Adam in the Garden of Eden was to work. 
was to work. Here is God, the creator of the universe, and we get this picture of him literally down in the dust with his hands. And he makes the garden, and then in the dust, he forms mankind. He forms Adam. And it's like in this moment, God himself is dignifying all work, from planting a garden to forming a very human being. And then he says to Adam, go and do likewise. Get your hands dirty. Why? Because I created you for this. It's part of my perfect rhythm for life. This rhythm of satisfaction when you do what you're created to do. See, this is really important. Work didn't enter the world as an idea of Satan to frustrate us, right? But it started in the mind and the very action of God as something he designed for us to do and to be. Work started in a world that God had said was very good. And work and rest are designed to be intimately together, to be like this satisfying dance. I'm not sure about you, but I've got to be honest and say, Work for me isn't always that satisfying. I mean, look, there are Friday nights when I get home and I feel like my week has just been incredible. It may have been very hard, but I feel like I've completed what I needed to do. And I feel deeply satisfied in my work and I'm able to rest. But there are other Friday nights, quite a few, where I don't feel anywhere near complete. And I don't feel anywhere near satisfied. And I find it very hard to rest. In fact, I've got to be honest and say, the whole weekend I often spend thinking about work. And Nikki will say to me, what's on your mind? And I'm thinking, I know what's on my mind, but I, I don't want to bring it up here because I don't want to bring everyone else down. But to be honest, there's just this work thing going on around in my mind. Maybe you understand that. Maybe for you, your Friday night is, is sitting with you right now. And I don't mean your spouse or your children, but I mean that sense of never quite being satisfied never quite being able to complete what you set out to do. You know, rest often feels like the last thing you can do. And I think that is why this rhythm that God teaches us is so important for our satisfaction. Because actually God teaches us early in the Bible through this rhythm of rest and work that we need to trust in His sovereignty, that He is ultimately in control of our lives. And I believe this is God's word for many of us today. You know, particularly at the moment, I think there'd be a lot of people watching this who are struggling to rest right now. Maybe you're worried about what's going on in the world with this coronavirus. Maybe you're struggling to sleep. Maybe your business is really struggling right now. Maybe you're having to work harder than you've ever worked just to keep your head above water. Well, I want to encourage you that even in this time of uncertainty and, and potentially exhaustion, God still offers you his rest. Because listen to this. God's rest is not about religiously taking 24 hours off each week. God's rest is living in the place of his promised provision and blessing. Do you get that? God's rest is living in his place of promised provision and blessing. You see, in God's grace, guys, and against all the striving that the world tempts us to do, the concept of God's rest simply says stop, cease, desist. And so God beautifully gives us the pattern of rest in Genesis before he even gives us his command of work. 
Isn't that interesting? He gives us the pattern of rest before he tells us to work. You know, the lie that we often tells our, tell ourselves is that we can't stop until all the work is done. Mark Buchanan writes in this beautiful book called The Sabbath Rest of God, he writes this, the truth is the work is never done and never done quite right. It's always more than you can finish and less than you had hoped for. So what? Get this straight. The rest of God, the rest God gladly gives so that we can discover that part of God we're missing is not a reward for finishing. It's not a bonus for work well done. It's sheer gift. It's a stop work order in the midst of work that's never complete, never polished. Sabbath is not the break we're allotted at the tail end of completing all our tasks and chores, the fulfillment of all our obligations. It's the rest we take smack dab in the middle of them without apology, without guilt, and for no better reason than God told us we could. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that liberating? We don't have to finish everything to know God's rest. We don't have to do everything perfectly to know God's rest. We can simply stop in a moment and experience the rest of God. And you know, if you're a follower of Jesus today and you're feeling stressed out to the max, my encouragement to you today is to find a moment sometime today and seek his rest, his place of his promised provision and blessing. But you know, we also learn in chapter two why this rhythm of satisfaction is so hard to get right. And we learn about it through this concept of two trees. The Bible introduces us to the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in this Garden of Eden, where everything was good, we find one tree that promises a fully satisfied life and one tree that promises death. To choose to eat from the tree of life was like humanity obeying God and walking within his created order, walking within the rhythm of satisfaction that he had created for us. The tree of life provided a choice to have a living and satisfying relationship with God himself. Alternatively, in the middle of the garden was this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is what God said to Adam about this tree. In verse 17 of chapter 2, he says, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on that day you eat from it, you will certainly die. The first thing to note here is that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil wasn't a bad tree. Remember, everything in the Garden of Eden was very good. And in fact, it says that God chose chose the most beautiful trees to have there, the ones that were appealing to the eye, the ones that were good for fruit. So this tree would have looked incredible. It didn't, wasn't full of maggots. This was a beautiful tree. But to choose to eat from it, God said, was to choose to die. Now, if you fast forward to chapter 3, then you find Adam and Eve choosing to disobey God's commandment because they choose specifically to eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But something happens. They don't die physically. Remember, God said, if you eat from this, you will die. When they eat from it, it doesn't seem like they die, at least not as far as we can tell. So was God lying? What did he mean when he said, if you eat from this, you will die? Well, I think we've got to understand that death has different layers. There's physical death, absolutely, but God is talking about something far more important than physical death. He was talking about spiritual death. 
And when you read Genesis 3, you see that is exactly what happens. In a single moment, pure relationships are soiled. Joyful work becomes hard drudgery. The freshness of new birth becomes painful endurance. And in that moment in the Garden of Eden, all of humanity died to a living relationship with the one who created us. And we died to the rhythm of endless satisfaction. Incredible thing is this. If God is all-knowing, he would have known even before he created the world that Adam and Eve were going to eat from this tree. He would have known that evil was going to enter the world. And he would have known that ultimately he would need to send his son Jesus into the world to fix up what we had broken. And he still did it. So why did he give them a choice? Why didn't he just take away the option? Wouldn't that have been simple? Just just take away the temptation, so to speak? Quite simply because true love requires a choice, doesn't it? Think about marriage. There's generally two types of marriage in the world. There's an arranged marriage, and then there's what is often termed a love marriage. But the reality is this. Neither of those marriages are a love marriage without each person making a choice to love the other. That's what true love is about. It's about choosing to love someone. It's about choosing to put them first. And what God is saying is that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil wasn't a bad tree, but it invited us to choose to love God, not out of fear or like a robot programmed to follow commands, but out of love. And so right in the middle of the Garden of Eden was this choice, a choice for love to be a part of the rhythm of satisfaction or a choice to leave it all and choose our own path. And Adam and Eve chose the latter. And you know what? As a result of that, humanity has been working ever since to try and find the satisfaction that we lost in the Garden of Eden. It's why work doesn't always feel satisfying. It's why we find it so hard to rest peacefully. I think some of you watching this right now have been striving for many years to find that rest again, that satisfaction that God intended for you from the beginning. But your life still seems purposeless and satisfaction remains just out of reach. Do you know why that is? It's because you weren't meant to find purpose and satisfaction on your own. You weren't even meant to follow, find it just by following the rhythm of rest and work that we've been talking about. Because that rhythm in and of itself is only satisfying when it's lived out of a vital relationship with the God of the universe. So is there any way back to that original state of satisfaction? Well, yes, I believe there is. And it's outlined here in the same chapter. You see right back in verse 1 to 3, what do we read? Is that on the seventh day, what happens? Something's different to the other six. See, on the other six days, we have this statement. There was morning and there was evening the fourth day. There was morning and there was evening the fifth day. There was morning and there was evening the sixth day. But what we read in chapter 2 is we don't have that statement. It simply says God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy for he rested on it. You see, on day seven, there's no end. Why? Because the rhythm of satisfied rest that God is inviting us into is not finite. It doesn't just reside on one day of the year or one day of the week or in one part of our lives. And we didn't lose all hope of finding it again back in the Garden of Eden. No. 
the rest of God he is inviting you and I into is eternal. It's eternal. And it still remains for us to enter into today. There's a wonderful verse in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 9 and 10 says this. Therefore a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered God's rest has rested from their own works, just as God did from his. And God is saying in this verse, you can't work your way to satisfaction and purpose. You need instead to simply accept his gift of eternal, all-satisfying rest. And that can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus came to this earth to give us rest, to give us peace, to stop our endless striving and to save us from an eternity without him. When Jesus hung on the cross, he paid the punishment for your wrong and mine. And on that cross, an amazing thing happened. When he had paid for my sin, my wrong stuff and yours, once he had taken all the penalty for our brokenness on himself, he said three words, it is finished. Or put another way, it is complete. And what that means for you and I is that all your striving and working to be good enough can finally cease because Jesus has done it for you. What Adam and Eve could never do for us, Jesus has done. He chose the way of love. And if you accept his free gift of life, then just like God looked on creation in the garden and said that it was very good, he can once more look on you and I and say, very good. Let me leave you with one thought. To eat from the tree of life was a free gift that God gave to Adam and Eve, right? But they had to choose to eat it. And God gives you that choice today. Just like his rest is available for you, the free gift of eternal life is still available to you. That rest is infinite. One of the reasons I know is that in the very last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, when we read about what heaven is going to be like, this is what we read. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. And listen to this. The tree of life was on either side of the river, each side, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree, and listen to this, are for the healing of the nations. You see, the tree of life, guys, was not just on offer in the Garden of Eden. It will stand in eternity in heaven as a reminder from humanity's history, from its earliest times, that we can have a living relationship with God. And notice this, the leaves of its tree are for the healing of the nations. Or as another verse says, its leaves will be for medicine. The ability to live in a perpetual state of healing is something that you can have. I've had a lot of migraines in my life. And there's nothing quite like coming out of that migraine and that moment of healing when I'm feeling better. And I just have the sense that when you get to eat from the tree of life, In fact, when you get to eat from Jesus, you will get to experience that perpetual healing, that perpetual satisfaction of life that nothing else will give you. But all you need to do for the first time or maybe the umpteenth time today is to take the gift of life that Jesus is offering you because he is the ultimate tree of life. God has a wonderful plan for your life. May you know his blessing. 
May you know his purpose. May you find your deeper satisfaction in him. As he says to you this morning, he can complete you. Let him finish in your life what he has started. I'm going to ask Nick and Sarah to pray for us and just conclude our time together. God bless you.